Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me Andrew Zuckerman, who is VP of People at Rentable. Welcome, Andrew. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I am really excited to talk to you today because um, I really like the insight that you shared when we connected uh, to discuss recording. So let's get into who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Sure. So, so first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for having me yeah. here. I'm thrilled. So I run the people team at a startup called Rentable. And Rentable basically is a marketplace for folks looking for apartments. We primarily focus on the Gen Z space, as well as we do some B2B SaaS stuff and some other really cool cool tech stuff. I've been in the tech world on the HR side for about, about four years now. And before then, I was doing some of the stuff in the advertising world. But I've always focused my career on helping to define employee experiences. So really find what makes somebody want to work at this company. How do we continue to create moments that matter that are unique to this company? And then how do we continue that through the employee's life cycle so that they continue to not only stay at this company, but remain engaged at this company? I love that individualized uh, outlook toward it, you know, getting to why an individual worker wants to work at the company, because not everyone has the same reasons. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think it's really important I think it's really important to figure out what those reasons are at a macro level and to make sure that those reasons align with what the company is thinking of in terms of their employee value proposition, in terms of their mission as well. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned you have a, a background in marketing as well. How do you apply that to what you're doing now? Yeah, so it's really interesting, right? I started my career at a big ad agency and it was a really interesting hybrid because even though you were on the HR team, everything you did obviously was was filtered through the lens of, of, of the advertising world. And so I think when you think about marketing, the way I think about it from an HR perspective is around employee branding. What are you putting out there? More and more the marketing that companies are doing is in their core values. And so how do you share those core values externally? How do we want to promote those from a recruiting process? Obviously, how do we make sure the marketing is authentic to what it is inside? But I always try and think about from my background is is what we are doing internally able to be packaged and communicated externally? Mm. And I think that's a big, a big thing to do, particularly as the recruiting market, even with the changes in the economy, the recruiting market is very, very, very competitive still today. Mm. So what does that packaging look like for Rentable? Yeah. So for us, you know, we really, we actually just redesigned our career page for you know, speaking of marketing. Mm-hmm. And I realize it's not the big, the big intent of this conversation, so I'll, I'll keep it short. But we basically sat down and thought to ourselves, we are a remote company. And so what is it actually like to work at Rentable? And we had this idea where rather than showing, you know, pictures of people and offsets and things like that, mm-hmm. we actually had people submit pictures of them standing at their desks in their house with their pets or their kids. Oh. Next to their plants, because the reality is working at Rentable is actually what you see on the other side of the screen right now, mm-hmm. right? There's no longer people at desks or happy hours and things like that. So we wanted to show that really authentically. The other thing we also want to talk about is one of our core values is transparency. So we created a section on our site that said from the minute you apply to the minute you're hired, here's not only what the process is, but here's actually what we're looking for. And if you don't hit these things, we're just not going to go forward, but we're going to tell you upfront to be transparent, to make you feel aware, to make you feel comfortable. And that's worked really well because people are coming in knowing exactly who you are, 
having a little fun and saying something a little different, but being really fair and transparent to what that candidate experience is like. Mm -hmm. So one thing that you have experience with is understanding how to level up, um, you know, the people experience when you reach that 100 employee mark. So what is it about that 100 employee mark that really makes things different compared to, you know, a couple dozen employees? At 100 people, you start to diverge from the core culture, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you're seeing this exacerbated, certainly in remote cultures. But what I mean by that is our sales teams, our marketing teams, our engineering teams start to become large enough that they truly start to create their own culture. Mm -hmm. Interesting and a real challenge for HR people is how do you let that culture evolve naturally without it being so different that there's a disparity between the engineering team and the sales team where one culture is so much better or different than the other that other people here are not having the same experience and they're missing Mm -hmm. out on and so one of the big things that i like to focus on is creating a really strong core culture so when i came into rentable we really focused a lot on what are our core values what is our mission statement what are the values that we want to put out there as a community talking about things like transparency you'll hear me say over and over we have a no asshole policy here that's Mm -hmm. really second organization and and ultimately seeing how that filters into those groups while still allowing those groups to maintain some sense of autonomy. So I think of it sort of like a wheel and spoke like culture um, where things are still connected in the center, but but recognizing that after 100 people, your culture is going to start to diverge and you have to you have to let it do it. Yeah. So you say no asshole policy. What are some asshole characteristics that you're like, oh, 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 got to talk to you about this? Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts about working at Rentable, um, especially when I interview candidates. Most people don't think the head of HR is going to say asshole on a <laughs> by, by chance. Um, but for us, you know, I always joke, and, you know, if my, if my boss ever listens to this, he'll smile. Um, we started as a Midwestern company, and mm-hmm. we always talk about being really good Midwestern people through it. <laughs> and what we mean by no asshole, beyond being really nice, hardworking Midwesterners, is um, to us, individual results are just as important as team results. It's about working together to solve the problem versus working individually. And that's a tough challenge, right? And I think when we think about tech companies, the reason we put this out there is high growth tech companies, VC funded like ourselves, require top talent to succeed. So when you hire people who are all used to being A players, that's a lot of alphas in the room. But Mm. the reason this policy in place, and to answer your question directly, what we mean by no assholes is like, no jerks, no one putting other people down, no one throwing someone under the bus. It's a really, really about collaboration and communication. And we've actually turned down a lot of candidates with really strong skill sets because they've rubbed us the wrong way mm-hmm. or they've made comments or they've done things that just feel like that is not the type of person we want at this company because they're not going to make other people feel good. They're not a culture add to this organization, despite the skill set that they can contribute to the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned Midwest culture is a big part of, of your roots. And, you know, me being in Michigan, I know that dearly. Um, but for any listener that doesn't necessarily understand what mid cult, Midwest culture represents, how, what does that look like in Rentable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people may be thinking about flyover country right now. Um, <laughs> for, for us, Midwestern culture, when we come down to it, is it's really humble people who have a strong. And one of the things that I have found at Rentable, which I think is really important as you think about a culture and experience, is as you grow, you have to recognize where your limits are. 
right? We have to begin to build around us almost like Legos to recognize, hey, I've reached the end of my ability here. Mm -hmm. I'm humble enough to recognize that. So I'm going to find the person who can take us to the next level. And I think that sort of head down, humble approach is how I would describe um, Midwest work ethic. So for, for all of you listening who are who are in the uh, in the Midwest, I guess a big shout out to us because we do, <laughs> we have a great mentality um, that I think has really um, been really interesting to see, particularly as the Midwestern tech market booms, how the, so I'm in, I'm in Chicago, as you know, how the Chicago greater Midwestern tech market is different than the New York market or different than the San Francisco taking on this culture of its, of its own here. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned humility, which um, it seems like employees have to have a little bit because you mentioned you have a little bit of a, fo- a poke fun culture at Rentable too. Um, you know, I think, and I, I think this is one of the big things. So right for, for folks who are listening, obviously we're, we're all in HR. I think one of the big focuses of our, org- of our, you know, group, one of the four tenants really is learning and development. Mm-hmm. And I start from a place of humility because recognizing you have to learn something takes a certain level of humility to know you. And what I like to do is when we think about the skills that people need, we think about the coaching that people need, any size organization, you have to make sure people are humble enough to understand that it's okay to get this help, which is our job to break things down from a communication perspective, get clear feedback and deliver that feedback clearly so that you can set up that person for success, create that humility in those people, and then ultimately put them down a path where they're open to growing and and, and do ultimately grow and succeed in their career. Yeah. And so one example of, of how that poke fun culture is you play some like games. You mentioned there's Taylor Swift Jeopardy, for example, um, that helps uh, staff feel, you know, more like a team. They feel like they're in it together. Uh, explain some of that strategy. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of our strategies, so our, our core culture in its, in its inception was always a group of people who had a lot of fun, who mm-hmm. also had sales goals every month. Um, and we have maintained that through, through the beginning. That is the stem cell of, of Rentable. Mm-hmm. And, grow, we've, we've, we've continued to challenge ourselves to think through how can we engage people in different ways that get people to laugh. Mm-hmm. So what I mentioned it is we played a new hire happy hour. We played Jeopardy. And one of the categories were was called um, a Taylor Swift Swift category, um, which was just a really quick category that had lyrics that basically you had to guess which boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> um, we have pulled people together. So at our annual offsite, uh, called Rentapalooza, we broke people into groups and we made them prove or disprove their favorite conspiracy theory. And we talked <laughs> everything from CV Wonder really isn't blind. I assume CV Wonder is not listening to this, so I feel comfortable. Other <laughs> um, Chuck E. Cheese pizza is actually made up of different slices of old pizza, but the strategy behind it, <laughs> laugh, like the strategy behind this is this is something that everybody can find fun. Yeah engage with each other, but it also allows you to show people who are super creative. People who I've never talked to before, just given the reality of being remote, came out, were the presenters, and were the funniest people that we've ever met. And actually, I've started pulling together to build a culture committee. Because what you realize here, and kind of the master plan behind the strategy is, Culture should not be defined by HR, yet HR is responsible for for, uh, initiating it and making Mm -hmm. sure... But if you use these people, 
right? We're starting to build a culture committee here. I found these people and I said, hey, you are really good at A, B, and Z. Come and build the next activity for us. Mm-hmm. People are going to be 10 times more engaged when it's coming from the employee base themselves, but also too, by simply putting down the pieces, you can see which employees really respond and will do that at the level that you want it to be at for the company. So it... um allows you to expand responsibility, but work with the community to build something amazing for the community. Yeah. And I can relate to that as someone who isn't necessarily loud in the workspace, but when there's like creative opportunities like that to show my pop culture knowledge, I get really, really into it. And it just shows how many different personality types are spread out throughout a company and how there's value in every single type of personality type. Totally. Totally. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. So let's talk about keeping a strong culture remotely because you are a hundred percent remote. And I know that's been a, a talking point for a lot of CEOs that have been kind of digging their heels in about, you know, having people back in the office. Um, it's, it, it, it's interesting, right? So I think, one of the things you have to figure out when you have a 100% remote culture is, one is, how do you engage people in casual ways? So most people will still continue to have their monthly team meetings where the leadership team speaks. We talk through what's going on. Everyone comes together. That's great. But what are the different ways that you can engage at a macro level? So some of the stuff that we just talked about, right? So if I, if I step take a step back, Top level is always going to be big company updates, information, sharing things with the team. Kind of that secondary level is sort of these macro cultural moments. These are the things that we're talking about around um, the Taylor Swift stuff mm-hmm. or when you're in person, the, the rental Palooza stuff. But the third is creating what I consider micro moments that engage people on a non-work level. So mm-hmm. don't use a tool that's incredibly successful at this. So even right after this 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 conversation with you, um, at eleven on every eleven a.m. Central every Thursday, we use a tool called Donut, and Donut will randomly connect three to four people in the organization for a half hour Zoom, mm-hmm. and that just allows people to meet and talk and get to know each other. No work topics are allowed, and people really do engage with it. It's a it, it's one of the, the the biggest things that Rentable users, rentable employees love and continue to use. Um, and we find that it's such a fun way to get to know each other. Um, and it was fun to see actually in person, everyone was sort of high-fiving each other, being like, I remember you from the donut. You're not as tall oh. as you looked in the air. <laughs> apparently, I'm way shorter than I look on camera. You'll have to let me know. Um, <laughs> it really is a, a really kind of fun and engaging thing to do. And so you find those micro moments. And you're starting to see tools that come out like this, right? You're starting to see people doing virtual campfires and s'mores and all of these things. And I think those things are so because that just engages people as close as you can to walking by someone's desk, to having lunch with that person. And we want to emulate that in-person experience. There is no thing that can replace in-person, but in a remote world, you have to try and find these micro moments and do those far more often um, than you would perhaps some of those macro moments. Yeah. And what I love about that is, one, you're not allowed to talk about work during the donut sessions. And two, is that you are incorporating it into the workday. I feel like a lot of companies, they try to force outside connection, connection outside of work where employees are like, I have limited time to spend with my family, to eat dinner, to enjoy my hobbies. Now I have to devote two hours to a happy hour. I I really love how it's like part of the workday is getting to know people. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it is something that is so important because um, as you diverge, as we talk about getting into this post hundred person, um, you, because team cultures are being created, the other side of it is that teams are being siloed. And so mm-hmm. this silos and meeting people across the organization. My call next, next 45 minutes is a salesperson, an engineer, and myself, which the three of us would, would not normally interact. Um, both the realities of work, whether we worked in person or not, but also just the realities of given the fact that we're all working in our teams all day at this point. Yeah. And you mentioned that leadership is very involved as well. And that's another reason why, you know, you're, you're working so well remotely is because it doesn't create that intimidation of a hierarchy that's set in place. Yes. And I, I find as a leader at Rentable, and I think as I've, I've, I've taken on a more of a leadership role, um, that level of accessibility, and people always talk in this abstract way of leaders should be accessible, but actually sitting down and being able to be yourself and make jokes. Like my dog usually makes a big appearance and it's fun <laughs> yeah. to know each other or, um, really making sure as leaders that we are sharing personal information about ourselves and humanize ourselves in a way is really critically important in a post COVID world, in a remote world. The number one thing that you hear over and over from some of these great leaders like Simon Sinek is people want trust and leadership. And there's no better way to build trust in people than actually being authentic and really showing the person behind it, right? Um, I think a great leader, um, and we try to do this here too, is, hey, my kids are sick, or I'm taking half a day because I'm going to go be with my kids. And that has made people feel so much more safe and made people feel comfortable. And the donut is a really easy, low-hanging fruit to do that and set the stage to do Yeah. Something that has been important to me as a leader um, is to emulate behavior that I would expect out of other people, because I have been in situations where bosses, they don't take their job seriously. They use, you know, their status as CEO or founder as an excuse to get their appointments done during the day but then have a very critical view of how employees use their time. Um, So that has really shaped how I lead, where I wouldn't ask anyone to do something that I wouldn't do myself um, and and kind of um, take advantage of that quote unquote power (laughs) that is, I think, you know, I think it's imaginary. I think it should be, you know, there shouldn't be power in, in the workplace. Right. No, a hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. So I also want to talk about something that, um, you know, I really amazed me. And that is how you work with employees, new ones at the three month mark um, to evaluate if it's a good fit for both parties. Yeah, it's a really interesting um, concept. And you- I can't take full credit for it because I believe I read it somewhere or mm-hmm. as we sort of talked about it. And one of the things I really love about this podcast and some of the things that are out there is the HR community, particularly leaders in the HR communities are coming together to try and share information. Yeah. With each other. And one of the things that I picked up along the way um, was this idea that after 90 days, you could sit down with an employee and have a conversation with them about whether or not it's the right fit for them. Um, and so it's simply having this check-in, um, obviously it's performance dependent. Obviously there are so many different, not performance dependent, but obviously performance plays an issue to yeah. uh, factor 
know what 90 days people are doing. There's a lot of different pieces here, but the, the core of it is a sitting down and saying, for example, Lindsay, you've been here 90 days. How are you enjoying this job? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this job is a fit for you? And having that open dialogue, and if that job isn't a fit for you, we'll severance you out in a more meaningful package. And I have found, and you've heard stories of people that do this. Some people have done things at at 30 days, uh, 100 days, whatever it may be. I like 90 days because 90 days to me is enough time for you to gain enough of a perspective of work, but also be in the work long enough to see if you enjoy it. And I think that's a really, really, really important thing that you don't just have a perspective of what it's like to work here, but you've actually done the work itself. And yeah. really, um, it's been interesting. Um, it, it continues to be interesting, um, but I think it allows a safe space for an employee to be like, wow, I've never asked myself this question, right? Yeah. Because even if you have this perspective of here's what it's like to work here and here's what the work is actually like and do I enjoy my day to day. At 90 days, I have probably not taken a step back and ever been asked this question because I think you must ask this question while you're in the honeymoon phase. And by doing so, someone can take a step back and and, and candidly make a decision, Mm -hmm. um, which is a really important thing because one is a company. If someone isn't a fit, you want to know sooner rather than later. There's obviously resources, there's obviously training, there's obviously connection, but as an employee, and one of the, my, my core tenants is finding the the balance between what's right for the company, what's right for the employee. Because I don't want someone working here that doesn't enjoy it. Right. And that's just not me saying like, oh, if you don't like it, go. It's, <laughs> it's like, I care about you as a person. And if you are feeling like, hey, this isn't right for me, I don't want you to feel beholden to us. Let me give you some runway. Let me give you a little severance for you to take a moment, recollect yourself and go. And you're hearing a ton of that. You're seeing a ton of that on LinkedIn of people pushing and empowering people to have the freedom to say, this job isn't right for me anymore. I don't like this culture. This isn't a match for my values. And as we really break away from this one year at a job requirement sort of thing, as you start having those conversations, I like being a part of that new age conversation because that is where the world is going. And what I have found is if companies do not jump on the bandwagon of where employees are going, companies get left behind and then you will the war on talent, quote unquote, but you you will really struggle to keep up with the employees' expectations of the day, which are changing every single day. Post-COVID is a drastically different world. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to understand it. And I think this tool is one way for us to keep in line with what employees are talking about in the professional space, how they're feeling, where their expectations lie. Yeah. And I think there is such value in letting go of ego and recognizing that it's okay if you're not a culture fit. It's okay if, you know, this is there is just butting heads or something isn't fitting. Um, Because I feel, you know, at least from my experience, when I was, I've only been fired once in my life and it was devastating, but three years out, I'm like, no, that's actually the best thing that could have happened because it just wasn't a good fit. Like I, it was somewhere that I had to, feel like I had to change my, the way I dress, the way I talk to people. It just didn't, yeah, it wasn't a fit. And I think the more people that can let go of their egos and realize, oh, it's not, it's not about me if someone chooses to leave the company or, you know, it's not personal if it's not a good fit with an employee, the better we can move toward, you know, a more 
harmonious experience. Right. And this is something, so if I think about it again, I think about the listeners on this call, that's a really risky thing to implement. And I think it could be a real challenge. And you've heard stories of whether or not it actually works or not. The one thing, so we, what we have actually implemented at Rentable, right? That's a great idea. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, it, it, it has worked in other places. We, we, we currently do not do that. At, we currently do not do that at Rentable. But one of the things we really do do at Rentable, which has been really successful, is when you reach a performance challenge. And what we have offered to people is you can go on a 30-day PIP or you can take a 30-day severance. Because the reality is when I think about the HR people on this call, when I think about my own experiences, the majority of people do not get off performance improvement plans. And some of the things that I've struggled with is why are we putting this person on a plan when we know they're not going to succeed? Are we just checking a box? And everybody knows in the HR world, you have to sometimes check a box. You have to put things in files. You have to follow Mm -hmm. things in a way. And so you can't pip some people and not pip other people. Even if you think that person is not going to succeed, you have to give the same chances. So this puts the power back to the employee mm-hmm. and says, I just had this conversation recently. This is going to be a tough pip. Mm-hmm. If you really take the weekend, if you really don't feel like you can do this, there is no shame. You're going to get paid the same amount of days, no matter what. Yeah. If you want to put in the effort, go ahead. Because and you say that obviously a little bit differently. Um, <laughs> that's really important because one is it allows you to get away from checking the box yeah. and it puts the power back in the employee's hands, like I said. But the other thing is if the employee is not in it, this is a gut check for them. And yeah. some employees will come back and say, you know what? I've thought about it. I'm committed. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get off this pit. Those employees are then far more likely to get off this pit because they've had a moment to collect themselves and be motivated instead of passively thinking, well, to your point, I want to keep my job. I don't want to go anywhere. So of course I'm going to go on this PIP. It it creates an active scenario for the PIP. But if they leave, everybody has been saved time. And I think mm-hmm. that's a fair thing for the company and a fair thing for the employees as well. And goes back to what I was saying earlier about a core tenant of mine being really fair and equitable to to both sides and to find that balance. Yeah, that is really, really awesome. And, you know, why it's so important to for me to talk to people like you is because these ideas can spread. Um, and you, like you mentioned, it may not work for everyone, but what is the harm in at least trying? Sure, yeah. for sure, right? I mean, I think one of the things we have to remember is we are all under so much stress to come up with different, <laughs> different things. And I always like to tell my team, like, no one died. Like, it is <laughs> You know what I mean? Like if, if we tried this program and everyone is like, no one ever took the severance, like it's not a big deal. Right. And I think we all have to feel empowered to come up with solutions, but it's really important to me. And I think it's really important to all of us. We move so fast. We have to take a step back and look at how we operate and think to ourselves, are we just doing this because we've always done it and we're supposed to do it? And if that's the case, if we're supposed to do it, how can we do it in better ways? How can we be more active? How can we continue to engage with employees? And I think you'll find, as we keep talking, that's kind of what's becoming a theme of our conversation. How do we give enough, some of our power to the employees so the power is distributed, but we're also in control still? And making sure it's so fair. And what I really love about, um, you know, interviewing guests on the show is that there's so much creativity. And I feel like creativity was kind of pushed away from, you know, the HR of the 80s, 90s, even early 2000s. And now this new generation of leaders are embracing creativity and throwing things against the wall to see if they're sticking. 
Yeah, sometimes I wake up in a cold sweat when I dream the word necessary operational. <laughs> so I, I agree with you 100%. No longer will be the operational expenses of the 80s and 90s. <laughs> Well, Andrew, this has been a great conversation. Your viewpoint, your, you know, what you work with um, on employees at Rentable is just, it's so refreshing. And I hope a lot of people are inspired by, you know, what you're doing, your ideas, and maybe they will spread. Yeah, well, thank yeah. you. This was this was so wonderful to speak with you. And, um, you know, I, I hope it helps. Thank yeah. you. So if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, what is the best way to do so? Sure. So I am totally accessible and I, I love to share and talk with the community and help lift everybody, help lift everyone up. If, if people want to reach out to you, me, they can email me at andrew at rentable.co. Um, we are not.com. I like to joke, which is true. Rentable.com is owned by a bunch of dudes in the basement in Boston. Um, so <laughs> okay. reach out to me at Andrew at rentable.co. I'm happy to have a conversation. You can obviously find me on LinkedIn at Andrew Zuckerman, but, but please tell, please, whoever's listening, I'm happy to reach out and I'm happy to, I'm happy if you reach out, excuse me, and happy to chat more. Yeah. Now they have an option if they want to connect with some dudes in the basement. There's that. It's well. a really cool company. It's a cool company. So you know, there's nothing wrong connecting with those dudes yeah, in the basement. Just learn about everyone. Exactly. Exactly. Well, if you or anyone you know is like Andrew, who is creative and about um, making amazing solutions for employees in the workplace, feel free to reach out. Lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.